What about that? Does that sound better? There we go. All right, let's try that again. Good morning, Live Point. How's everybody doing? It caught me a little off guard. I thought that I'd turn my mic on, and the music ended quick. I didn't know what was going on there. So uh, it's good to see all of you. One quick announcement, actually two, uh, followed up on what Clay said. You may have heard about this Valentine's night. Now, if you've been coming to Live Point very long, you remember we've done a Valentine's banquet before, but it turns out Quentin thinks the word banquet is antiquated. So instead, this year, we're having a Valentine's night that's not on Valentine's Day. So no, no confusion there whatsoever. But uh, it's Friday night, in case you missed the dates. And you may have heard that there is a decade. So it's, we're, we're encouraging you to dress up, okay? Um, in the past, we've done 60s night, and we've done 80s night. This year, we're doing 90s night. All right? Now, some of you, like me, own the 90s. All right? So you should know what that is. But there are others in the room that are like, I'm not sure I know what the 90s look like. All right? We, we, we had some staff at staff meeting this week that were born after the 90s that had no idea what the 90s was. And yet, like some of you who don't know, she was wearing at the moment what the 90s were. So if you're confused about what you need to wear with a Nike, wear what you're wearing right now and tight roll your pants, put on a pair of Nikes, and you're good. That's all you got to do, all right? But, but because some of you are overachievers, I decided in the last gathering we're buying a really nice gift, prize, for the couple who comes dressed best epitomizing the 90s, all right? So it'll be a nice gift. I don't know, nice prize. I don't know what it is yet. And so, you know, for those of you that are confused, don't know what to do, it's all you got to do. Get on like, you know, TV Land or something. MTV, okay, MTV, I'm here. Uh, get on TV or, or just YouTube probably, and you'll want to look at Saved by the Bell, 90210, Dawson's Creek. Um, you could even go, if you, really, you want to get real like into this, TGIF. Like, that's going to put you at full house. <laughs> you can check that out. You know, a couple other shows that came on Friday night there, so... Uh, it, but you, you come dress best as the 90s, and you're going to take home a prize. Otherwise, you're going to force me to take it home that night. So um, that's Friday night. Make sure you come to that. It's downtown Boaz at the event center. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's a catered event. So, um, you know, 40 bucks for a catered meal and entertainment. By the way, from what I hear, Quentin and Lynn are in charge of the entertainment. Yeah, I don't know what that means. I, that's either a hoo-hoo or a oh boy. I don't know which one, but come and find out. It would be awesome or a train wreck, and either way, you'll laugh. So uh, come and hang out with us. Second thing this morning that I'm supposed to announce is, um, how many of you are sponsoring a kid with blessings in a backpack Mexico? Have I got any of my sponsors in there? If you're unfamiliar with that, y'all check it out. Um, but they are doing a Mexico mission trip coming up in a couple of months. And uh, if you would like to go hang out with the kids there that we are serving uh, we want to encourage you to go on that trip. Uh, you can get more information about that in the next step area as soon as this gathering is over. Uh, but you could also, if you maybe don't have capability to go, but you'd like to help someone go, uh, I know there are already 10 or 15 people signed up to go to that that are raising money, you know, preparing for that. So if you'd like to help someone attend that trip, um, the same thing, you can either go and see Tammy in the next steps area when this is over, or uh, you can just write a check and put blessings in a backpack um, or Blessings for Mexico, I think is the way to do that. Blessings for Mexico, and uh, we'll make sure that we get that uh, to the right place. Uh, we're kicking off a brand new series this morning, in case you didn't notice by the video, called Pray This Way. 
And um, this is a series that has been in our sermon, sermon series planning ideas folder uh, on Excel. And I know some of you are like, y'all don't have an Excel sheet. We do. Believe it or not, we do. Um, and we have been planning this one for over two years now and uh, just kind of waiting for the right time and space. And, and so I'm super excited about this one. So I want to pray first and then you're here for the perfect Sunday because you get to hear the kickoff message and get an idea of where we're going for the rest of this series. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for the morning. Um, God, we just pray that you would speak to us, that we want to we hear something directly from you this morning. And so, God, I pray that every word spoken would be divine, that you would speak to our heart in a way that changes the way we think, maybe even changes the way we pray, and helps us to honor you even more as we walk away from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, I was asked to speak at one of the most random, it's really not random, it was just random in my life that I was asked to speak at this event, and, and it didn't seem like something that I would normally be a part of. I was actually asked to speak at a thing called camp meeting, and um, anybody ever been to camp meeting? Have I got anybody in the room that's ever been to a camp meeting? Okay, I kind of figured that. So here's what camp meeting is. It is um, unair conditioned cabins in a circle around a, like a, um, a covered, um, you know, build it like it's not, it's, it's open side, kind of like a big giant gazebo. And, uh, and there's pews. If you know what, if you don't know what a pew is, cause you've only gone to life point, but it's like a really uncomfortable bench and they got pews in there and, and they just spend like 14 straight days, uh, playing hymns, singing the hymns. And, uh, it's kind of like an old school revival. I mean, really it's a very cool thing they do. They've been doing it. Um, this particular place has done it every year, since like 1863 or something crazy like that. It was right after the Civil War, they started doing it. Uh, and they even met in 2020. And so they, it's been ongoing for a long, long time. And a couple years ago, I got asked to speak at it, uh, which was interesting because I, I don't necessarily fit the bill for camp meeting. I mentioned there was no air conditioning anywhere. And it's in July in Georgia. Um, it's warm. And, um, and so I was, asked to speak, I was asked to speak five times at it over those two weeks. And, um, and I just decided to pick apart the passage that we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. And as I began to do that, I knew it was a sermon series that I wanted to bring here and uh, wanted to share. We're just waiting for the right time and place. If you were here a year ago when we did um, a prayer night, I actually talked through this entire passage in one night. And so you got the condensed version about a year ago. And now we're going to do the full version. And it's an entire series based on prayer. And, and here's the thing, I, I realize that for most of you in the room, you should assume, you may assume, and you probably should assume, it'd be okay to assume, that if there's anybody that knows something about prayer, it should be me. I mean, I'm the pastor here, and I mean, after all, I only work like one day a week, I should have plenty of time to pray. Um, and, I, and I know that's kind of what you think. And, and here's the thing, it's true, I should have plenty of time to pray, and, uh, and you should have plenty of time to pray. Uh, and, and here's the thing, and I say this not with faults. Um, you know, not, not some type of, um, you know, just trying to false piety or anything like that, but I, I'll just be honest with you, I'm just not very good at prayer. I'm just not. Um, I, you know, when God designed me, he designed, he designed me with a touch of attention deficit disorder. I mean, just a touch, just mild. Um, and, and when I pray, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I pray, I start out with incredibly good intentions, and, and I, I mean, I've like, I, I've got like, no, this is what I'm going to pray about. And like, sometimes my prayer life turns from what I think I'm going to pray about to like, 
I, I can't even tell you sometimes where it goes. It's like there is no logical connection from where I end up and where I started that just, I mean, so I'm like, I don't know about you. Sometimes we do this one hour, you know, we pray for like an hour. And some of you are probably like great at that. And all of you probably think I'm great at that. But there are times in our one-hour prayer thing where I'm like, I have prayed about everything I know to pray about. This hour has got to be up. And I look, and it's been like, oh, man, it's been four and a half minutes. Okay. I only got 55 more minutes to go, and I've run out of things to pray about, right? And, and I've struggled. Like, I'll just be honest with you. There, there are times in my life, I'm being honest with you, there are times in my life when um, I heard Haddon Robinson say this in, in one of my favorite sermons I've ever heard preached in my entire life. I, heard Haddon Robinson say, there are times when I feel like I have grasped the veil or grasped the hem of the garment of prayer. Um, and there are times in my life when I feel like I just grasped the hem, maybe, and I can feel pretty good about my prayer life. But I'll be honest with you, as I've surveyed my, my life, the times when I feel like that prayer was significant, really, in my life, seem to correspond with the times in my life that were challenging or difficult as though it is the nature of the circumstance that determines the effectiveness of my prayer or the vitality of my prayer. I mean, for instance, um, I, when I was a kid, I was five years old, and I was attending a Christian school, which meant we had a Bible class. And I'm pretty sure this was a Wednesday when we had chapel. And, uh, and I got introduced to a verse in Scripture, and I came home, you know, armed with that verse, and, uh, and I walk in, my mom is cooking, it just, you know, it's, it's that evening, and I've been thinking about that verse all day, and, uh, and she's cooking, I, I distinctly remember, I know it's a lot, been a long time ago, I was five years old, I distinctly remember this, she was cooking pork chops, fried pork chops, I don't know what else, it's one of my favorite foods, so that's probably why I remember it, and she's cooking that, and, uh, and typically, you know, my, my mom cooked kind of like you would anticipate, you know, good southern deep fried cook. It's everywhere. You ever notice that you cook fried pork? It's everywhere. So, so there's flour everywhere, flour all over my mom, flour, pork chops in the skillet. I'm sure other stuff cooking. And this is what I say to my mom. I say, hey, mom, I'd like a glass of water, please. I'm sure I said, please. I mean, I mean I'm a nice guy. I'm like, please. My mom kind of looks at me, and I, I remember this look distinctly like, are you kidding? Like, now? Like, can you So she says, I'll get it for you in a second. So, I mean, naturally, I was a very patient person at five, so I waited a few seconds. I mean, I gave her a few seconds. She only asked for a second. And after a few seconds, I said, hey, how about that glass of water? And my mom's like, Matt, look, I'm cooking. There's stuff everywhere. If you'll give me a few minutes, I'll, I'll get you a glass of water. And so I realized I was going to have to do something more significant to get this glass of water. So I said, ask anything in my name, and I will do it. John 14, 14. And I'll never forget what happened that next moment. My mom stopped what she was doing. She walked to the sink. She washed her hands. She got a glass of water, and she handed it to me. And that was the day I realized the power of prayer. You ask anything in my name, and it gets done, right? And, uh, and it's a, one of those fundamental passages about prayer that's in Scripture and about God's will. But what, what I began to notice in my life after that is from that moment till today, it's almost like the need determines the urgency. You know, I mean, I, I distinctly remember the day that Jennifer and I found out that, that she was pregnant. And we were not prepared for that. She was pregnant with John. It was our first kid. And, and I don't know how many of you in the room were prepared for your first kid. Maybe there, I mean, some of you are planners. You probably thought you were. I was not, right? I mean, I was, 
20 years old and, and certainly not ready. And I just remember how that fear, prayer was not a problem for me in that moment. It was just, I mean, it seemed like the natural thing to do. It was like, God, have you lost your mind? If you think I'm going to be a dad, what in the world, right? And, 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 and I began to, I mean, I was praying about that. And then I'll never forget when Jalen was born, uh, immediately it was, I was overwhelmed with emotion and then concern. Because then it got real. Like it went from this idea of being a dad to now I'm responsible and and, and then, I mean, that was crazy. You know what I mean? Like, that was crazy. Like, I, like immediately pray. I mean, it's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know anything to do but pray. And then Jaron was born two and a half years later. That was a whole different dynamic. I mean, I, I know, you know, you don't, you guys, some of you know my boys. Jaron's here this morning. He's been a big boy his whole life. I mean, he came home a big boy. Like, I, I'll never forget. He, he was born in the middle of the night. Uh, the doctor that delivered him had never met us because it was the middle of the night because Jaron does everything in, in the middle of the night, inconveniently. And the doctor says, do you know what you're having? I said, yeah, I've already got a quarterback. I'm having a running back. And then the doctor, during delivery, begins to go, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And I'm like, I'll never forget, I'm grabbing the doctor, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, get clarified in here, doc. <laughs> go clear those up. He's like, well, you think you're having a running back. I think you may be having the whole offensive line. And Jaron's born. It was fantastic, though, because he was born. Like, I walk over to see him in that room. Was, I never had to tell anybody who Jaron was because it was like little, 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 eight-year-old, little, little, little. <laughs> it was kind of what it looked like. He's a big old boy. And we bring him home, and he will not stop crying. Won't stop crying. Like, like, I'm just confused. I'm like, why is he crying all the time? I'm praying. God, what are we doing? What are we doing? Turned out we just wasn't feeding him enough. You know, the doctor told us to feed him like a baby. We were supposed to be feeding him like a teenager. You know, it's like, you know, we went, and then it's like, we were not prepared. How many of you have two kids in the room and realize when you had your second one, you're not prepared? They're not the same. It's crazy. It's not the same. Jalen used to sit on a, we'd put a, we'd put a, a like a pallet down. Jalen just sit on the pallet, watch the TV. Jaron comes along, we sit him on the same pallet. He crawls over and starts chewing on lamp wires. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Pray. It's chaos. You got to pray. And then I didn't even realize what, I was, what was coming when they got their driver's license. I mean, me, I mean, both of them, when they get their driver's license, like, I can't quit praying. Thank God for Life 360. You know what I mean? I don't know how you parents did it before Life 360 when your kids started driving. At least I can get on there and I'm like, okay, he's not in a ditch because it's moving. I mean, he's, he's going down the road. That's better than being in a ditch. I don't know why he's going 83 miles per hour. We probably need to talk about that. But at least he's safe, right? And, you, and, and just pray, you know. And, and there's times when, you know, maybe me and Jennifer get sideways and, and we're arguing and that, that turns into just a season, you know, or a day or two. And you just find yourself going, it's easy to pray when there's chaos. But here's the interesting thing about the pages of Scripture. It's not necessarily the pattern you see in Jesus' life. You don't see chaos and, and circumstance and difficulty, and then Jesus goes, oh my gosh, i got to go pray. And in fact, in my life, in my life, let me, let me just be rude, and, and I'm not saying this to try to be falsely, you know, sympathetic, whatever. I, I mean, I, I'm ashamed of this as much as I am anything, but it's almost like in my life, I view prayer as the easy thing and the preparation for the hard stuff that's coming. Boy, God, you got, you got to prepare me to be a parent. 17 years ago when we started this thing called LifePoint, 
I mean, what were we thinking? What were you thinking, those of you who came then? You know, I mean, I was 28 years old, and I was the oldest one on staff, I think. You know, it's like, what are we doing? I'm starting a church and 36 people show up. I mean, I'll never forget praying the night before God, just please let somebody show up. It ain't got to be a lot of bodies, but just some bodies would be great. 36 people show up. And it's like, oh, man, maybe it'd been better if nobody's showing up. Now we got a church. Like, I don't even know. I'm not even prepared for that. By four or five weeks, 300 people are coming. I'm like, oh, what do we do? And for me, it was like the what to do was the fight. And the prayer was like preparation for the fight. But you don't see that in Jesus' life. In fact, it's almost like with Jesus, prayer was the fight. And then everything else was easy. I mean, if I were, if I were the disciples, you imagine being with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane right before the crucifixion. I mean, if you're unfamiliar with that story, Jesus takes three of his buddies and they go and pray. The three friends fall asleep, Peter, James, and John, they fall asleep. Jesus is in such anguish praying that he's dropping, he's, he's like shedding drops of blood. I mean, I think if I'd have been there, I'd have looked and been like, my goodness, Jesus, if you think this is rough, imagine when you get to the hard stuff. You ought to be more like your friends. This is one place you ought to maybe learn from Peter, James, and John. I mean, they've now I laid me down to sleep and prayed the Lord my soul to keep, and they're over there taking a nap, Jesus. You're stressed out in prayer. If you're stressed out about this, imagine what it's going to be like when you get to the real fight. But here's the crazy thing. When the real fight came, the three that were asleep ran away. And the one that was praying walked triumphantly to the cross. And the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of humanity was accomplished. Maybe because the fight was won in the prayer. And I think when I look at Jesus' life, it's like the prayer was the fight and ministry was just the accepting of the prize. Ministry was just the draping of the the banner around the neck and acceptance of the trophy. Because it seems like Jesus understood something different about prayer than what I understand about prayer. And I really think I'm not the only one that felt that way. Because when we look through the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the guys that, the guys that documented the days and the, the activities and the adventures with Jesus, the guys who documented the sermons and the miracles, not once, not once in either one of those four books, Not once in any one of those four historical narratives do we find where one of the disciples says, hey, Jesus, man, that was an incredible sermon. Would you teach us how to preach like that? I mean, man, the way that you captured the audience's attention and and, and boy, you talk about bottom lines, Jesus. You're great at bottom lines. Can you teach us how to come up with those bottom lines? Not once do we see that recorded in the pages of Scripture. Now, the disciples may have asked Jesus about teaching but it didn't impress the writers of the historical narratives to the point that they wrote it down. When you and I look at the stories of Jesus, we're impressed by the raising of the dead and the causing the blind to see and the deaf to hear, but not once, not once as far as we know to the disciples ever say, Jesus, teach us how to do those miracles. Oh, that was incredible. Teach us how to do that. Not once do we catch them doing that. But if we flip over to Luke chapter 11, we find Jesus praying. In fact, Luke, as he writes down these stories of eyewitnesses, 
He says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And I love the way this starts because it's as though in all of, G in all of Luke's interviews with the eyewitnesses, nobody could remember what the place was. Nobody remembered where Jesus was on this day when he was praying. Nobody was like, oh, it was over there on such and such mountain or over there in such and such valley. It was underneath that tree that Jesus liked so much. It's just a certain place. No real details about it because no one probably remembered exactly where he was. And then he said when he finished, one of his disciples, I'm not even sure they remember who asked. They don't really remember the place. They don't remember the ask, but they remember the question. So one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. He said, Lord, what we want to know from you, it's the only time as far as we know that they ever requested a subject from Jesus. And the subject they requested was, Lord, teach us how to pray. And this is so significant because when you ask somebody to teach you something, you typically ask somebody who knows something about the subject to teach you that, right? I mean, you know what, you know what I never get asked ever. Nobody has ever said this to me. Nobody ever comes to me and goes, hey, Matt, would you teach me how to hit a golf ball? Nobody's ever asked me how to do that. You know why? Because people have seen me hit a golf ball. And I can't hit it very good. I can hit it very far. I don't know where it's going. And it turns out in that sport, you need to hit it far and straight and accurately. And I'm one of the three. So nobody ever goes, hey, Matt, after watching you play them 18 holes, I'm just thinking, you want to give me some lessons? Nobody ever does that because I don't know anything about it. A couple of years ago, I asked Todd Oldham, I said, Todd, would you, uh, would you start to teach a class on Tuesday mornings for our staff and for anybody that wants to come on systematic theology? Because I feel like, I feel like we, we, we need to understand more about who God is, what he's like, what scripture says about it. You know why I asked Todd to do that? Because he is a genius when it comes to that subject matter. Not once. Not once in those two years that he taught that. I said, hey, Todd. This next Tuesday, why don't we uh, change subject matter slightly? Why don't you uh, teach a class on social norms? Kind of like how to get along with people and, you know, not be goofy. I never asked him to do that. You know why? He don't know anything about that. He's not an expert in that. That's what we asked Quentin for, not Todd. You know why? Because when you ask somebody to teach you something, there's the assumption that that person is an expert in that matter. And when the disciples said, Lord, we want to know something from you. We want you to teach us something. You know what they said? We want to know how you pray. They must have seen something in Jesus that indicated that when he prayed, it was something different. There was something different to it. For me, when I look at how Jesus prayed, the thing that strikes me so peculiar and so interesting is that every time there's a major moment in Jesus' life that we would call this huge mountaintop experience is preceded by a time when he said, I've got to get away and pray. It's preceded by a time when he says, I've got to go and care for my soul in order to care for the people that I'm about to be involved with. And I think like the disciples, we need to be taught how to pray. I bet you like me across the room, You'd be willing to say, boy, this is, a this is a struggle for me, Matt. If I'm honest, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be evaluated by how effective my prayers are. And I don't want to be affected by how often my prayers are. If, I'm if I was a betting person, 
I bet there's a lot of us in the room that say, you know what, not only could I be better at it, I could probably be better at doing that consistently. And maybe the reason that we struggle so much in effectiveness of prayer is because maybe we just don't know what we're doing. But the good news is there was a day when the disciples said, Lord, we want to know how to pray. And Jesus said, well, in that case, how about I give you a template? In fact, when they ask him to pray, Jesus says, well, then pray like this. Now, just to be fair, I don't think this is a prayer that has to be memorized and should be recited as though it's a prayer. Uh, and the reason I don't think that's the case is I've, I've done that a lot. I've recited this prayer a lot. In fact, I did it nine times my senior year in high school. We recited it before every football game. And I just want you to know, it made no difference whatsoever in those games. We still lost every single one of them. I'm not even sure why we kept praying this prayer. It was totally ineffective for football. Uh, and yet, almost every athlete in the room knows this prayer because they prayed it at some sporting event. I don't know how that started. I don't know, how it began. I don't know why we did it. I don't know why we made it a prayer to memorize uh, to me, it's a little long for a memorized prayer. I mean, if you're going to do that, go with the God is great, God is good, let us thank him for the food. By his hands we are fed. Thank you, God, for daily bread. Some of you are like, that's too long. Good food, good eat, good God, let's eat. That'll work. Whatever you want to do. I don't think this is the memorized kind of prayer, even though we memorize it. I think instead it's more of a template. I think that what Jesus does in this prayer is he provides us a framework for the kind of prayer that honors God, and adjust our life to his honor, his glory, and his plan. And this is what he said to pray. He said, if you, if you want to blow how to pray, he says, you've asked, I'll teach you how to pray. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now this has become to be known as the Lord's Prayer over the years. Now interestingly enough, it is not the Lord's Prayer. It's a terrible name for it because Jesus could have never in, in authenticity and never genuinely prayed this prayer because our Lord never sinned. So he would have never prayed, forgive me of my debts. He had no debts. And so this is not the Lord's prayer. A better, a better description of it would be that it's the model prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. It's mining your prayer. It's a template for prayer. And so over the next about six weeks, we're going to take and pick apart this prayer, and we're going to ask this question, what is it in this section of the prayer that the Lord is trying to teach us about prayer? What is it that he's, what is it about this framework that makes this section so important? This morning, we want to deal with a, the first phrase in this is, our Father in heaven. And this is so incredibly unique, and if you've been around church for any length of time, you played football or some kind of sports in the South, You've known this prayer, and you have buzzed probably right over this and totally missed out on, on the, the, the importance of it and the uniqueness of the idea that Jesus said, when you pray, when you pray, you address God as your Father in heaven. Now, you've probably missed out on that because you've probably heard that most of your life. You've probably heard people stand to pray and and they've said, Heavenly Father, as they began their prayer, and it hadn't seen anything peculiar to you. But to the disciples that would have heard this, this would have been monumental in their life. And let me tell you why. If you look at the Old Testament, you look at, if you look at Genesis through Malachi, and you look at, at the recorded data of the, the Jewish Bible, which is what the Old Testament is, kind of the Jewish Bible, if you look at all of that, 
Not, here's what you'll find. Seven different times, only seven times from Genesis to Malachi will you find God addressed as Father. And in all seven of those times, it is not personal, it's public. And what I mean by that is, it is, it is an address of a prayer where God is, it's God's being addressed as Father, but He's being called the Father of the nation of Israel. It, it's not a personal, you'll never find, what, you, what you'll notice is you look through the Old Testament, you'll never find where David addresses God as Father. You'll never find Solomon addressing God as Father. You'll never find Jacob. You'll never find, you know, you, you won't find any of the, the heroes that are documented in Hebrews chapter 11. Rahab the spy, Rahab the harlot. The, you'll never find anybody. The heroes of the Old Testament never address God as Father. The only time it's done, it's very limited, seven times in the Old Testament, God is addressed as Father, and, and He's declared as the Father of the nation. It's a public prayer. But then when you turn the pages and you get to the New Testament, the New Covenant, over 250 times, God's addressed as Father. And the reason for that is, is that along with Him sending His Son to die, what God did in the New Covenant is so significant is that He not only he not only came as God, he came as Father. He, he established relationship. And he established personal relationship. You see, I want you to hear this this morning. When Jesus says, you want to know how to pray, I'll teach you how to pray. The first thing he's saying is this, is that when you come to the God of the universe, when you come to the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, when you come to the one whose name is greater than any other name, when you come to the one who one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is God to the glory of the Father, when you come to the one who spoke everything into existence, when you come to the one that all other names pale in comparison to, then when you come to him, the name that should come easily to your lips is Daddy. The one that ought to come easily to your lips is Father. The thing that Jesus said, I want you to know when you come to the God of the universe, when you ask the question, is there some great being out there? The answer that Jesus gives to that is yes, and he can be known intimately. That the great God of the universe is not, is not there from a distance. That he is there with loving kindness and compassion and care. Jesus said, you want to pray? You want to know how to pray? When you pray, the name that ought to come easily to your lips is the name Father. You come understanding that what you typically need in prayer, now don't miss this. You get out a pencil, you write this down. Most of the time when you come to God in prayer, you don't need a problem solved, you need proximity. So what do you mean by that, Matt? You don't need a response, you need a relationship. You don't need an answer, you need a friend. You don't need a God who understands how to fix your issues. You need a God who understands you. And so Jesus said, when you come to pray, come to a Father. You come knowing that God is close enough to you to care. He said, but he's not just any Father. He is our Heavenly Father. You see, I think Jesus understood that as time would go, many of us would have trouble identifying with God as Father because the only Father we have was a Father we didn't respect. And I realized across the room that could be a potential for people in the room You'd be like, man, I don't even want to think about God being like my dad. Well, here's the difference. God is not your dad. He is your heavenly father. And what that means is, is that by being heavenly father, he is the perfect father. 
and he is the father that is powerful enough to do something about the things he cares about. Jesus said, when you come to the Father, when you come to the God of the universe, you come knowing that he is Father, and that means he is close enough that he cares, and he is big enough that he can do something about it. He said, you come understanding that you're coming to the God, to the Father that holds time in his hands, that flung the stars into space and gave them all a name. You're coming to the guy who said to the ocean, you can only come this far and no farther, and the ocean obeys. You're coming to the guy who cares. Isn't it interesting that on multiple times the disciples in their, in their circumstances and in their chaos of their life, they find Jesus at peace? Isn't that so interesting? Remember the time they're on the boat and the water's coming, the storm comes up, and the water's gonna, is coming over the bow of the boat and they're afraid it's going to sink? You know what they find Jesus doing? They find him asleep. I've often thought about that. How did, why was he asleep? Well, if you go back and look at the story, he had spent time with his father. He'd been praying. He'd been off by himself praying, and then he comes to the boat. He was at peace because he knew who his daddy was. And then the first thing the disciples say when they wake him up, do you remember their question? Lord, do you not care that we're in trouble here? And Lord, Jesus never has to answer that question. It's almost as soon as they say it, they're like, well, duh, Jesus cares. In fact, Jesus cares so much, and when he teaches them how to pray, he says, the first thing I want you to do is to remind yourself that you're praying to a God who cares. You address him as Father. Let the name that comes easily to your lips be Father. You're not praying to just God. You're not praying just to a powerful being. You're not praying just to somebody who has the answer. You're praying to your heavenly daddy who cares that sometimes understands that you don't need your answer solved. You just need to sit a while with your dad. That prayer is not just about changing things. It's about changing us. It's about being molded into the image of the sun. It's about, it's about being in the environment, being in space, being in proximity with our dad. And recognizing that the circumstances are not nearly as scary when you're with your daddy. I grew up hunting with my dad. We used to hunt public land in the Talladega National Forest in Cleburne and Calhoun County. Let me just tell you, if you have an aspiration in your life to get lost and die one day, that's a great place to do it. That place is expensive. It's wilderness for days. And not once when I go hunting with my dad did I ever say, sure hope we make it back. It's a scary, scary woods out there. Hope we can survive. Hope I don't get lost. Never once worry about, you know why? Because my daddy knew where we were going, and my daddy knew how to get us back. And here's the thing. I assumed he knew it. If he didn't, I was still knew I was okay as long as I was with my daddy. You know, when it comes to the circumstances of your life, I don't know if you're going to get there and get back. In this particular prayer throughout the entire section, we never find a place where there's a promise that he's going to do what we want him to do. Jesus says, when you pray, you begin by addressing your God, the God of the universe as your Father. It is the reminder that I don't have to know where I'm going. I don't know if I'm going to get back. I don't know if it's all going to work out. I don't have to know if it's going to work out. As long as my daddy is with me, everything will be okay. You want a bottom line this morning? The bottom line is very simply this. It's, it's just this. It says that God is close enough to care, and he's big enough to do something about it. He is our heavenly father. Now, 
I want to show you something that's interesting in that. The band may come on out here in just a second. It'll be okay if they do, and they'll get ready, because I want to make you an offer this morning. But I want to show you something interesting that I think almost everybody misses about this section of the prayer. It's when Jesus teaches us to pray, I want you to notice something that he says here. If I can get it back, come on. I want you to see this. He says, Our Father in heaven. He says, um, Hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now watch this. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors and let uh, lead us not into temptation. You see, isn't it interesting that when Jesus teaches about prayer, he tells us that prayer is done in community. He teaches us that it is not my heavenly father that I go to to pray. It is our heavenly father. And as they take the TV away and as they begin to play, I want to make you an offer this morning. I want to make you an offer to invite you into a space where you can get reacquainted with our Heavenly Father. See, I don't know what you're going through in life today. I have no idea what your circumstances are. But Jesus never addressed the circumstances before he introduced us to his Father. See, whatever it is that you're going through, let me tell you this, the best, the best thing I can point you to is not the solution. It's not the escape. The best thing I can point you to this morning is our Heavenly Father. The best thing I can do is say to you that there is a God that is so compassionate and loving that He wants to be known as Dad, but He is so powerful that He wants to remind us that He is the Heavenly Father. And that in him we find peace and we find comfort and we find aid and we find compassion and we find friendship. We call this thing an altar. It's one of the weird things we do at church. And by the way, if you're a guest with us, just know this. There's a lot of weird things that happen at church. Once a month we baptize people. And what that means is we go and like get this little miniature swimming pool and we dunk them in it. It's a really weird thing that we do around here. Every now and then we do a thing called the Lord's Supper. That's really weird because it's barely a snack. It's like a little bitty cracker and a little like spoonful of juice. And we sit around here and call it the Lord's Supper. If you're a guest with us, you look at that and go, that is weird, and you'd be right. But one of the weirdest things we do is we call this thing here an altar. And some people might say, you know, with all the newfangled things we do, maybe we ought to give that a new name. But it's the one thing I refuse to change the name of. Because in the Old Testament, altar was a place of sacrifice. And in English, the word altar means to change. And this is a place where old habits come to die and be sacrificed, where old mentalities get to die and be sacrificed, and a place where we can come and find change. And this morning, I want to invite you to an altar where you can get reacquainted with your Heavenly Father. Maybe what you need this morning is just spend a few minutes with your daddy. And you should know something, because we believe he is our Heavenly Father, we don't let anybody pray alone up here. You may walk up here alone, but you won't leave alone. Somebody will come and put a hand on your shoulders and they'll pray with you. It's the culture of what we do at Life Point, Because he is our heavenly father. And we ask him to lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil and forgive us our sins. We believe in community. And we believe in putting a hand on a shoulder. So our band's going to play as far as I know.
far as I know they're going to play. But they also know that if they need to walk to an altar and they need to get acquainted with their Heavenly Father, they can put down a guitar and put down drumsticks and set down a mic and they can pray as well. And so we're going to begin with a song playing. And my offer to you is this. Here's a place you can come and have interaction, have a moment with your daddy. Father, thank you that you invite us into proximity and into relationship. Thank you that you are our heavenly father. That means you are able to do something about what we struggle with. Lord, as we sing this last song, as we worship, as we celebrate, we also come to you just to spend a few minutes with you. Thank you that when we come, we know you're there and you listen and you care. In Jesus' name.